In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps upon the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make a man in our image, after our likeness, 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created man. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps upon the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything he God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from the second book of Acts, beginning with the 14th verse. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, 
and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 28th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> we continue now with the Athanasian Creed. Whoever desires to be saved must above all hold the Catholic faith. Whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled will without doubt perish eternally. And the Catholic faith is this. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit is another. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father infinite, the Son infinite, the Holy Spirit infinite. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal. In the same way, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, the Holy Spirit almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. So the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Just as we are compelled by the Christian truth to acknowledge each distinct person as God and Lord, so also are we prohibited by the Catholic religion to say that there are three gods or lords. The Son is neither made nor created, but begotten of the Father alone. The 
Thus there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. But the whole three persons are co-eternal with each other and co-equal, so that in all things, as has been stated above, the Trinity in unity and unity in Trinity is to be worshipped. But it is also necessary for everlasting salvation that one faithfully believe the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is God, begotten from the substance of the Father before all ages, and he is man, born from the substance of his mother in this age. Equal to the Father with respect to his divinity, less than the Father with respect to his humanity. One, however, not by the conversion of the divinity into flesh, but by the assumption of the humanity into God. One altogether, For as the rational soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ. ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And those who have done good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. Whoever does not believe it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be accepted in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Our text for this morning's meditation is Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This is our text. 
Well, it's truly a joy and honor to be with you today, and I appreciate this opportunity to later to award uh, Chaplain Ochner with this uh, prestigious award that we give in our church to give thanks to him for his many years of honorable and faithful service as a chaplain. And being Trinity Sunday, I thought, well, if I use this text that we usually use as our theme, sort of, for our Ministry of the Armed Forces, but when you think about the Athanasian Creed, it was actually created because of spiritual warfare, because of the Arian controversy, the church had to defend itself and get to the nitty-gritty of what really saves us, and that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the God who protects and defends us. So I think it's certainly appropriate to today as we reflect on this passage as well. You know, being ready for a spiritual warfare is important, but you being near a military base and being a military chaplain myself can't help but be a little biased and you think about all the training that the men and women who defend our country go through day after day. It's not a day that's not going by that they're not training or training some more because they can't be getting ready. They have to be ready when the balloon goes up. So they train, train, and train some more. And of course, many of you do that in other vocations as well. Preparation is important. Our military leaders continue to lead in ensuring that our personnel and People are ready for combat. The institution does get them physically and mentally prepared, but what about spiritually for the hope of freedom? You know, the SEAL motto is the only easy day was yesterday. Maybe that's how you feel. The only easy day was yesterday. It's quite a motto, but every day is going to be harder, and that's the way it is in life. Abraham Lincoln once said, give me six hours to chop down a tree, and I'll spend the first four hours sharpening the axe. Preparation and being ready are critical in any planning, but especially in planning a defense. It's important to be reminded that we do live in the church militant. We are present in a world that we are at war with the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. So I ask you the question again, are you ready? Are you ready for the battles and sufferings that you will face in your world, in your life? What is your plan to sustain you on the battlefield of life? How will you endure? What is your hope and confidence as you go into battle physically, mentally, spiritually? Because we cannot kid ourselves. We live in a sin-sick world. We are surrounded by evil in America, yeah, we may not yet be hauled out of our churches or our homes and taken to the city square with a gun or a sword to our head and told, renounce Jesus or die. Yet we know in other parts of the world that is happening today. Christians are being executed and martyred daily simply for their faith. But yet here in our country, people are losing their jobs or positions or livelihood for giving a defense of the faith and speaking out against the issues that go contrary to the word of God. We are being told to keep your religion in the church, in these four walls. Don't you dare bring it out to the public square. In your personal life, you can have it in your home, but don't you dare bring it out. You have the freedom to worship, but not the free exercise thereof. Hang your personal faith at the door on the way out of your house or church and don't bring it out here. And how often have we given in to that idea and stood by quietly in the discussion in the public square about cultural issues that are really challenges to the word of God and his truth that we didn't speak out. 
We remained silent because we simply didn't want to be labeled a bigot or judgmental or narrow-minded or hate speech monger or to be canceled. No, we don't want to suffer for what we believe. We want to be liked and accepted. We all do. It's not easy to stand strong in the Lord. Now you may be saying, come on chaplain, I'm in the middle of a war right now with an illness or a disease, a broken relationship, guilt, depression, addiction. I know what it's like to be spiritually as well as physically beat up. I've tried everything I can to fight to win, yet the pain continues and I am stricken smitten and afflicted. Well, that's where Paul in our text today points us to the answer. It's God's armor. It's not within us. We ourselves can't stand and fight alone. The devil will find a chink in our armor and bring us to despair and hopelessness. Look how many times he has succeeded in our society today with the chaos, with suicides, all this hopelessness, people giving up because they're looking within themselves to try to fight and to win, and it can't be done. You know, even in physical war, we can give our troops the best equipment, the best armor money can buy to protect them, but we still have troops killed in combat or in accidents, despite all the heavy armor, all their training. My friends, the devil will do the same to you and to me. He knows your weaknesses and your temptations. He will attack and attack and attack to find that chink in your armor. It, it is God who reminds us that the armor we wear is not ours. It is given to God. Listen again to these words. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, not just parts of it, all of it. Why? So when the devil tries to tell you that you're not good enough to be a child of God, or you're too evil for God to love or to die for, that Jesus couldn't have possibly paid for your sins, your guilt, your evilness, you may be able to stand your ground because you have the truth of God's word and say, yes, I am a redeemed child of God. God indeed has saved me. And so he gives us the belt of truth, the belt that centers all of that battle rattle, all that gear that Paul's going to talk about as we fight the good fight of the faith to defend ourselves against the assaults of the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. And that's even a sensitive topic today, isn't it? Truth, even when Pontius Pilate says, what is truth? Well, that's the mantra today, isn't it? You have your truth, I have my truth, pastor has his truth. There is no truth, it's all fluid. There are no absolutes. That's what the world tries to tell us today. But you know, it's no different than it was before. It's always been that way. Genesis 3.15, what did the devil say to Adam and Eve in the garden? Did God really say what we just read in the Old Testament lesson about creation? Did God really create you? Did God really create you man and woman? Did God really institute marriage between one man and one woman? Did God really say the only way to heaven is through Jesus? To cast that doubt into our minds, to challenge the truth. So we have that belt of truth that we know that God who cannot lie has promised us eternal life. The God who cannot lie has laid it all out for us as we just confessed in the Athanasius Creed. It all is about God and saving us, our redemption. 
We can never forget that. We do believe there is truth, and God is truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So God, who cannot lie, has promised you eternal life. So hold that, breast, that belt of truth around you. And then we have the breastplate of righteousness. Now we know that we are dead in our sins and soiled by evil, and we are filthy rags and no way to be hope or to be saved. Other passages of scripture talk about the robe of righteousness, but here Paul, keeping to his military theme, makes it a military thing and says, breastplate of righteousness, that in your baptism, God reached down into the muck and mire of your sinfulness and made you his child. He gave you his righteousness. He gave you forgiveness, life, and salvation. So no matter what accusations the devil throws your way about how bad you are, or maybe how good you think you are, your righteousness is as filthy rags. Our Lord gives you his breastplate of righteousness. He lived that perfect life for you and gave it to you as we confessed in the creed again today. And because of him, he declares you not guilty. And so now he looks at you with cross vision through the cross and sees you as a saint of God, one wearing the breastplate of righteousness. So now the devil's darts of accusations can't penetrate that truth of God's word. And he gives us the shield of faith, that faith which God created in that baptism, that faith that even if it's as small as a mustard seed can move mountains, the faith that clings to the promises of Christ, the faith that clings to the word of God, the Holy Spirit who called us by the gospel keeps us in the one true faith. What a wonderful gift of God. And then the helmet of salvation. I know many of you growing up probably didn't wear helmets. Well, if you're my age, so that was the thing of new. Now you'll, none of you will let your grandson or your sons or daughters go out without a helmet. We've learned our lesson. It's important to protect that noggin. So when I looked about this in this passage, when the, obviously in battle, is to protect your head. So how do you say when Paul says the helmet of salvation... To me, it simply means, I think, when you put it on, you know the end of the story. You are covered by knowing that you are saved. The helmet of salvation, that no matter what happens to you in this life, no matter what trials, tribulations, pain, and suffering, you know the end of the story. You are bought and redeemed child of God, that your salvation has been given to you by the grace of God for Christ's sake through faith. So never forget to put on that helmet of salvation to remind you that you are saved by the gift of God. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is the first offensive weapon that he gives us, the two-edged sword that could beat back the devil and his lies. Jesus himself used this in the, when he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And what did he do? He used the word of God to beat back the devil. And Luther so proudly proclaims, one little word can fell him. Get behind me, Satan. God has given us a piece of armor that is both defensive and offensive in our spiritual warfare. So my dear friends, I think it's important for us to remember that great collect of the word. The old King James Version was we read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. And now we say, take it to heart. But how important is it that God has given us his word that we can read, mark, learn, and take it to heart every day of our life to prepare us for the battlefield of life. 
We need to keep on that gear, to stay in that word of God, to be disciplined. And finally, we get the shoes, feet fitted with the gospel of peace. The footwear. Now, sometimes we overlook this when we talk about the armor of God, but as any good foot soldier, infantry, or grunt marine can tell you, it does matter what you have on your feet. Without proper protection, it's easy to slow down, lose your ground, and not stand firm. In the old days, the Roman soldiers actually had little spikes in their feet, their shoes, their, their sandals to protect them. When we look at that text, how often have we seen, hold the line, stand firm, stand strong. It's important as we push forward. Even today, we use the words boots on the ground. This is what Paul is talking about. We have the feet shod with the gospel of peace, the peace of God which passes all understanding. We are ready because of the gospel of peace. That is the peace that God has given you, knowing that you are forgiven, knowing that you are saved, knowing that you are redeemed. The peace that gives you the strength to continue in this veil of tears, in this church militant, this present warfare, that you will have peace even in the midst of persecution and personal loss because we know the end of the line. We are forgiven children of God and that God who loves us will never leave us nor forsake us. The peace that comes from knowing that all things work out for good and according to his purpose. The peace that comes that even though we still feel pain, sadness, struggle with our own pet sins, pain in relationships, pain in illness and disease, loneliness and the loss of a loved one. Yet in all that, we stand firm, trusting our Lord Jesus, trusting that even as we live in a sin-sick world and all that comes with it, heaven is our home. Our Jesus has defeated our enemy and has given us the armor we need to endure until either our end comes or Jesus returns again on the last day. So my friends, I ask you again, are you ready for war and suffering? Are you ready to face the temptations and even the persecutions that will befall you as a follower of Christ? Are you ready to face the pain that may come your way? Yes, 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 you are ready because God has made you ready in Christ Jesus. He is your hope and defense. He is built on him and his righteousness. Amen. Amen. And now may that peace of God, which passes on understanding, keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.